Today is Thursday, November 2nd. I don't have any fun holidays for you today. The title for our devotional is The End. Yesterday we saw the beginning of the story in Eden. This beginning reminds us that the suffering, evil, and death we experience today it wasn't always the case. This gives us hope that it will not always be that way either. This hope is assured in Jesus. We'll revisit this assurance tomorrow, but for today, let's look at the end of the story, the destiny of creation. John writes the book of Revelation to seven churches who are either facing persecution or are threatened with persecution. So his purpose in writing to them is to reassure them of the supremacy of Christ, even over the emperor of Rome, and not to cave to a lot of the pressure that persecution is putting on them to abandon Jesus for the gods of Rome. The most powerful human on the planet was the emperor of Rome, and the most powerful empire was the empire of Rome. John here assures them that their final hope and assurance in Christ through an apocalyptic vision of heaven that God gives him, he wants to remind them and point them to the supremacy of Christ. Revelation 21, 1-8, here's how he ends it with this vision. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. The sea was the place of evil and chaos. So it just symbolizes that. Remember, this is apocalyptic literature, so there's a lot of symbolism and metaphor. He goes on, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Ah, what a beautiful line. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. John then spends some time describing the dimensions of the New Jerusalem and the temple, and they're, they're glorious, but we're going to fast forward to Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. They will be, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. In summary, this vision describes a return to Eden. But let's note a few things. First, it is God who is making all things new. Again, this is contra the secular utopian vision. Only God can do this. God calls us to serve him in our time on this earth. He calls us to participate in the kingdom and to know it when we see it. We have the great joy and the purpose of doing God's will, pursuing love, justice, and peace. All the while, we know that we will never fully accomplish this work apart from Jesus returning. Only by abiding in Jesus through the power of the Spirit can we accomplish anything in ministry. And it's only upon the return of Jesus that what is fully wrong will be made right. 
and the new creation will be fully implemented. Secondly, the first blessing of the new creation is the presence of God. We read, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the first and ultimate blessing in the inheritance of God's people. It's God's presence. It's God himself. Chapter 22, verse 4 says, They will see his face. This is a picture of seeing the full glory of God, being fully in his presence. Hyperlink this to the scene where Moses asked God to see his glory in Exodus 33 and 34. God shows him his quote-unquote back. God doesn't really have a back, right? This is just language to say that he didn't reveal the fullness of his glory. The fullness of his glory is seen in his face. Moses spoke with God as one speaks with a friend face to face, but Moses didn't see God's face. This we will see in the new creation when we can see the fullness of God's glory, when we are fully made holy to be in his presence forever. Thirdly, the second blessing is the removal of the curse and the results of it. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. We have access to the tree of life, which is for the healing of the nations. There is no more night, a picture of evil and lies, as God is the source of continuous light that is goodness and truth. What a beautiful picture that is. Fourth is the inheritance of the people of God. And this return to Eden, God's people will fully live as stewards of creation as intended in Genesis 1. We will reign over creation. We'll talk about this more uh, tomorrow from Romans chapter 8. Fifth, this destiny again is only for the people of God. Remember we read, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death, John says. Non-Christian, then, there is urgency for believing in Jesus. To achieve this hope, for this assurance of hope to be yours, we must believe in Jesus. Christian, there is urgency for sharing the good news of Jesus, this glorious inheritance and realized hope is only accessible through faith in Jesus. It is only for God's people. There's so much in here worth commenting on as John is hyperlinking us to so many other scriptures, but I want you to just get this picture of the ultimate destiny of God's people into your imagination, and may it ever be before you. I'm not going to read that all, but in the, the devotional I've linked you to, a quote from C.S. Lewis, another one, uh, from Mir. Christianity. I'm just going to read a little bit of it. I've given you more of it in the, on the devotional page. He writes, Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. He goes on to explain that more, but he ends that paragraph by saying, we must learn to want something else even more. And that something else is God. To be in his presence, eternity with him. So that's our reflection time today. Do you want God? Do you want that picture of Revelation 21 and 22 to be yours? Ultimately, do you want and desire to be with God forever? We must set our hope on that. We must set our eyes on that more and more especially as the circumstances of this world seem bleak and dark.